Welcome to Were the Kids Alright, a podcast where we analyze the books we read as kids. My name is Jacqueline, and I use they, them, or she, her pronouns. And my name is Sophie, and I use she, her pronouns. We're two college students who read a lot as children, and now we have some thoughts. First things first, we use the analytical framework of death of the author. Basically, the author doesn't matter until we say they do. We also will get into spoilers, so that's your warning for that. For this episode, we'll be discussing themes of global disaster, resource shortage, electricity failure, death of family members, and corrupt political figures. Please take care of yourself if any of these themes cause you distress. This week, we read The City of Ember by Jean Dupro. The book takes place several hundred years in the future, in an underground city built to protect humankind while the world above encounters and recovers from a massive global disaster. The city is only meant to last 200 years, but it's been 241 and everything is failing. It's up to two preteens, Lena and Dune, to find a way out of the city and lead their people out into the light. Also, the mayor is an asshole. There's a reason why he was played by Bill Murray in the 2008 movie. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so now let's get into some of our own backgrounds with the book. Um, I don't exactly remember when I first read it, but I'm pretty sure I was in middle school because I have this like pretty vivid memory of me being in my middle school's library and like seeing all the covers of the books. Um, but yeah, I don't think I read it. I, I didn't really reread it. So I think that was like the one and only time when I read it. What about you? Oh, um, so I read it for the first time in fourth grade because my friend in elementary school really liked it and I actually watched the movie before I read the book so I'm one of the few people who liked the movie when I watched it and it inspired me to read the book and then I read the book and I instantly became obsessed and I mean obsessed I was (laughs) I was so obsessed with this book to the point where people are usually obsessed with Harry Potter Percy Jackson I reread this so many times. I was Lena Mayfleet for Halloween in 2009. And I, I like, I didn't take this book to hung to when I went, lived in Hungary for a year, but, um, I got it on ebook and I, and as soon as I got it on ebook, I just read it over and over and over again. And I know the beginning lines by heart still do it, do it right now. When the city of Ember was just built, but not yet inhabited, <laughs> the chief builder and the assistant builder, both of them weary, sat down to speak of the future. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <Beautiful. laughs> also, point uh, important to mention is that you listen to the soundtrack of the movie. Yes. On repeat. Yes. The soundtrack the is a very good soundtrack. It's very repetitive, mm-hmm. but it but it's it's good. Yeah, I definitely did not get as invested as you did. I got so invested. <laughs> I. The thing is, like, it was, like, the perfect amount of darkness for my preteen self. Mm-hmm. So it was nice and dark. The stakes were really high, and I got really into that. And the mm-hmm. plot was just edge-of-your-seat drama. And, yeah, yeah I I was I was very into it. Mm-hmm. Though, um, so there are four books in the series, and um, I really liked three of them. But the one, there was a prequel... Prophet of Yondor. Prophet of Yonwood, which oh, I... Yonwood. <laughs> I keep saying Yondor. <laughs> yeah, which I read and did not like. Hence why we're not reading it. Yeah. For this podcast. <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear my thoughts, look at her Twitter. 
Um, yeah, just to clarify, we are we only read the first book in the City of Ember series for today, and we're going to, in our next two episodes, be reading the second and fourth book in the series. We are skipping the third book that Sophie hates. Yes. Yeah. But anyways, like I said, I didn't really reread this a bunch as a kid, so when I was rereading it for this podcast, it kind of felt like I was reading it for the first time. Um, I was literally, like, sitting across the table from Sophie while I was reading it, and you can attest that I was literally like, the drama! Every five seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, like, one of the main things that got me. I can see why you loved it so much, because... It is so, like, it just pulls you in and keeps you there. Yeah. Um, I think also, like, the thing that kind of stuck out to me a lot is that the characters are so young. Like, I'm pretty sure I read this when I was 12, which is the same age as the main characters. But, like, now, as a 20-year-old, babies. They are children. They shouldn't be in charge of saving the world. Yeah. But no one else can. That's so sad. (laughs) Yeah, it's really a miracle that Poppy found those instructions. Yeah. How old is Poppy supposed to be? Two. Two. Okay, so Poppy is Lena's younger sister. Yeah. I guess my first impressions on reread mm-hmm. um, were that I um, didn't realize how much it switched points of view between Lena and Dune. So mm-hmm. that that's sometimes within a chapter. And within sometimes even within the same paragraph, so that was that was surprising. Um, I still really enjoyed it. I think the plot was is, is still really strong. I like the world building a lot. Um, I definitely feel like um, as a character reader, <laughs> gotta say this every single episode. Um, I was missing. I wish I got more from Lena and Dune. I really do. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely more self inserty. And when I was reading the author's interviews, it seemed like she didn't have a very strong characterization in mind for the characters. And she kind of just took bits of herself and mm-hmm. put them in both Lena and Dune. Um, so I could have gotten, like, they're supposed to be really, really ordinary. And she tries to make a whole point about how ordinary powers and the signs of in times of crisis are the ones that will save the world yeah they are both very ordinary and extremely lucky yes like their luck just keeps on helping them yeah it's very i guess what we would say these days is it's very deus Deus ex machina. Yeah. Whatever the phrase is. Though I would say that they're really lucky when they find the box, but after that they kind of do everything on their own. Well, at the very end when they um, stumble upon the place that lets them look back into Ember. Oh yeah, that that was that, that was so that was so lucky. I That's kind of what I was mainly thinking about. They're yeah. very lucky that they're able to get a message down to the people still in the city. Yeah, if we're talking I originally thought that was so cool and like, ooh, extra plot point. But honestly, I could have done without it. I could have just, I wish that Lena just gave the message to Mrs. Murdo when she went to get Poppy because I think Mm. that would have, that wouldn't have changed the outcome and it would have made things much more believable. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that because like how lucky is it that Mrs. Murdo is the character that ends up stumbling upon their little message. Like, of all people that could find it, it had to be one of the few people that's going to believe them. Yeah. 
I think, I also think that realistically, even though the stakes are really high for both Lena and Dune, they're not going to forget about the note. Yeah, well, I can see why Lena would forget about it because she is more focused on her sister at that point. And her thoughts are probably just like, I have to get Poppy out of here. Yeah. I mean, I know Dune leaves a message for his father. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that that, even without the note, that would have been enough. Yeah. If it didn't manage to hit. Um, And I do think that because Clary did see the instructions. She would have put it together. She would have put it, she put, would have put it together because she knew that they, like, they wouldn't just disappear. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking a lot about characters right now. Let's jump jump back a little <laughs> in our editor let's talk about some writing style stuff like there isn't a whole lot i think to comment on the main thing is it's very fast paced which works well we were able to both read it in literally an afternoon yeah it's fast paced but also it's a quieter plot than maybe mysterious benedict society yes. so it really it will even though it goes really quickly it will take time for some more character moments not necessarily character development but moments that moments within the characters, characters developing or you get not developing but like interacting yeah it gives you enough to get a good sense of what life is like in ember yes yeah i think that's the main thing that um uh jean depro was probably focused on it sounds like she was more focused on world building than literally anything else and she does do a beautiful job building this world yeah um and i think this is another book that feels that is not quite as omniscient as Mysterious Benedict Society, but isn't quite in their heads either. Mm, yeah. It's like a very specifically narrow third person, and it's focused on Dune and Lena interchangeably uh, at different moments. Yeah. And I do think that you can't have, like, this is something you could merge their characters and maybe it would still be the same story, but you need both of them yeah. and both of their positions mm-hmm. to make to make it work. Yeah, the story doesn't work if you just had one character, just based on how the world was built. Yeah. I would honestly be interested about what happened if they couldn't actually trade jobs and if they weren't allowed to do that. Mm. And seeing them both in jobs that they don't want and having to fill the role that the other would have filled. That would be very interesting. Yeah, I feel like that would have helped their character development a little bit more. Yeah. Though then we wouldn't have gotten the moments where Lena bumps into Lizzie. True. Though the supply depot is really close to the pipeworks. Ah, okay. So it sounds like we don't really have that much more to say about the writing style. Yeah, it was quality. it was very simplistic. Um yeah. it's like it's straightforward. It's very it's readable. Good. Yeah. I think it's I think it's very consistent, which works well. Mm-hmm. Um there weren't any weird phrases that stood out. Mm-hmm. I think that it could be again a little bit more complex in terms of character reaction and character emotion and character development. But Yeah, it seems like Dune has exactly one emotion, and it's anger. <laughs> Dune has anger, curiosity, and obsession with bugs. Is obsession with bugs a, 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 an emotion? <laughs> it is in this book. 
<laughs> it is in this book. Okay, so let's dive back into characters. So I think we both kind of agree that Lena and Dune, they needed a little bit more. Yes. Still, like... I like them both. Yeah. They're both likable characters. And it really... I had to keep reminding myself that they were 12 years old. Yeah. Because, like, they read slightly older, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, like, the passage of time in this book, they there's a lot of, like, time skips where it's, like, oh, several weeks later. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of, like, messed with my mind. Yeah. But, yeah, I think they are... They're good characters. Um... And I like them a lot. They're just, like... I feel like they're not flat enough to be called self-insert characters. But mm-hmm. they're, like, not 3D enough to be, like... I don't know. Yeah. I think that they were... What worked was that they were different enough so that they had their things that could stand alone. Um, I also liked that they were f- they were friends before and then they kind of grew apart and then... They became friends again. I really liked how they explained the growing apart part. Where, like, they had fallen out a little bit and had a little bit of an argument. And then by the time that they had gotten over their argument, they were so out of the habit of friendship. That just, like, hit me really hard. Yeah. Because I think it perfectly describes a couple of the experiences that I had when I was younger. Yeah. And it was interesting because both of them experienced a lot of loss. But it seemed like the loss was so normalized in Ember that it wasn't it wasn't a very dramatic moment. It was more like a this is really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was more like a normal it was more normal for them. Yeah. Instead of like <laughs> the drama. <laughs> yeah. And Lena basically has to fill a guardian role for her sister. Yeah, especially when their grandma is still alive. Yeah. And her mind is kind of going. Yeah. That part was really sad to read. Yeah. And I think that it was really it was really cool that they had Mrs. Murdo step in and then develop this really positive relationship with an authority figure mm-hmm. throughout the book. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is one of the first books we've read that has like a positive mother figure yeah another found family thing yeah it is a found family but it's a more like uh not it's not like kids caring for kids kind of like mysterious benedict society yeah it's more like an adopted family which is like a very real thing which is cool yeah and dune has a good relationship with his dad yeah though it kind of weirds me out that he calls his dad father (laughs) that i didn't like yeah i'm i'm sure it's like a thing for some people but like <laughs> calling your dad father seems so formal <laughs> and like what is your relationship because i feel like whenever i read that it's because the dad is like evil or manipulative and like the child has to be like reverent mm-hmm. and it's like father i feel like that's also probably there's probably some connection with christianity in there yeah Though I wasn't getting much of a Christian vibe. No, I, I'm not saying that, but just like calling your father father in kind of like a re- re- reverent way. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the father, the ghost, the Holy Spirit. I don't know much about Christianity. Um, but don't they call God like father or something? Uh, maybe. 
I don't know. I think that she was probably going from a timeless angle, and yeah, I think that, right. that that dad might have felt to like twenty twentieth century, twenty first twenty first century. Yeah, and so she wanted she wanted more of like a like also with the names. She got really creative with the names. We can talk about that in the world building section. Yeah, let's let's finish up characters. Yeah, first. I have a comment about Poppy. She felt like the opposite of Constance. Because Constance is also supposed to be two years old mm-hmm. in Mysterious Benedict Society. But Poppy, like, acts like a child. Yeah. And I love Constance Poppy. And Constance doesn't. Poppy I is so too. cute. She is very cute. And just, like, I like how she just keeps sticking things in her mouth. It was yeah. really funny. I do. I wish that they would call her a toddler, though, and not a baby. Because it weirds me out every single time. Because... Yeah, like, two years old isn't a baby. It's not It's not a baby. They're talking, they're walking, for the most part. It's the same as those people who say that their two-year-old is 24 months. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> it's like, okay, once you get past 18 months, I don't think you can use months anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, I like Poppy. I'm kind of sad knowing that She's going to get sidelined for most of the next book. Um, but um, it, thank goodness for her, because if she didn't eat those instructions. <laughs> yeah. They they re- got really lucky. Also, they got really lucky that no one, cl- no one cleaned the closet in all that time. Honestly, that stressed me out so much. <laughs> the fact that their house is such a mess, I feel like if you have a shortage of things you would want to go through and organize all of your stuff and like yeah i don't know see what you have maybe that's just me also the seventh mayor was so stressed about the thing he lost that he didn't think to look in the freaking closet yeah i really <laughs> like the detail that the seventh mayor ends up being lena's great great something like that was good yeah, I like that. That makes the thing being in the closet make more sense. Yeah, but still, it does. Why wouldn't he think to look in the closet? Because he's dumb, maybe, probably. <laughs> that seems like an obvious place to look. I feel like a lot of the mayor characters that we interact with, which is the seventh mayor and the current mayor, mm-hmm. all dumb. I don't. How do you become the mayor? Do you pick the mayor out of a hat? <laughs> no, I think they elect the mayor. Then they need to do better at electing mayors. Well, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of hard. I bet the role as mayor used to be fairly figurehead mm. when the city was, was running perfectly. Yeah, because I mean, everyone got their their stuff. They get all their job. It's guaranteed. They get guaranteed employment. Mm-hmm. And from what I can tell, the jobs are pretty same similar in caliber and they're all going to pay pretty it's i don't know yeah it's more of like a socialist deal (gasps) in terms possibly (laughs) in terms well she did grow up during the cold war though so Ah, Um, save it for revived author (laughs) yeah yeah so i i can see the mayor being very ceremonial at first Mm -hmm. like maybe they lead the songs of ember Mm-hmm. remember no that's the second book um <laughs> and then i think when times started to get hard the mayors started needing to take on more of an actual yeah role. and they probably offered like had really big promises mm-hmm. and i bet that they were getting voted out left and right mm-hmm. 
Mm. That makes sense. Um, I have another character that I want to talk about. Looper. I want to talk about Looper. And I want to talk about Lizzie Bisco. Great. We can talk about both at once. Yes. <laughs> so, Looper is the, um, the, like, he, like, steals stuff from the, uh, the empty, quote-unquote, empty storerooms and then sells them to people slash also gives it to the mayor. Um, but the thing that I want to talk to about, talk about with him is that he is dating, quote-unquote dating, Lena's friend Lizzie. Who is 12. Who is 12? <laughs> this, this is, okay, I have written in my notes a little bit of a pedophile. <laughs> because we don't get an exact age for Looper, but he is described as being a couple of years ahead in school from Lena and Lizzie. Mm-hmm. So that probably puts him at what, like... 16 17 yeah and there's rapid development that happens between 12 and 16 yeah the amount that you even 12 and 14 would be a no-no for me i'm pretty sure i was a completely different person yeah though 12 and 13 doesn't strike me as fair but like the fact that this is probably like a 16 17 year old dating a freaking 12 year old (laughs) disturbing yeah, and the only way I can possibly think to rationalize it, which is still bad, it's like inherently bad to be clear. But like, maybe he's using Lizzie, where for maybe, what? Well, maybe she like found out what he was doing, and in order to keep her quiet, he like is oh, that's so to take messed her, up. Which yeah, is kind of worse. Yeah, I I don't know which one's worse: him actually being attracted to a twelve-year-old. Or Ugh. him using a 12-year-old to keep his illegal stuff secret. Yeah. And there's also the thing where in the movie, the actor that they choose to play Looper is clearly, like, into his 30s. What? <laughs> okay. I have some problems with Hollywood. Why can't they just get teenagers to play teenagers? Again, we'll discuss this in our live tweet. <sighs> yes, yes, we will. Yes. Follow our Twitter. Yes. By the time this episode comes out, our live tweet will be complete. So you yeah, can go back and probably read it. be weeks old. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but but they don't ditch the boy the he's my boyfriend plot. <clears throat> so they keep it. It's one of the few things they keep. It's like it's the worst part of the book. It makes me so uncomfortable. It's just like because Lena describes Looper as being like kind of gross looking and like sketchy looking and then when she tells lizzie that lizzie's like well i think he's handsome and i'm just like child you are a child yeah there's more development that happens with the looper plot later on that you get to hear in the second book but sophie refuses to tell me anything about the second book because i can't remember it (laughs) I don't think you read it, or I think you tried to read it and quit, like most people. Probably. Yeah, people, well, we'll get into it with People of Sparks, but most people who read People of Sparks don't finish it. Mm. Um, <laughs> Says something about People of Sparks. I like it. Guess we'll find out once But it is it. hard to get through. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Um, <laughs> I think, and in terms of Lizzie... Um, I don't know. I liked the whole friends going growing apart plot line with her and Lena. I thought that that was really well 
done where Lena's kind of realizing that Lizzie's not giving the same to the friendship that she's giving to Lizzie. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Um, I, and I also see Lizzie's rationale for wanting to take the stuff from Looper because everyone's really, really scared. And they know, everyone knows that the city's going to eventually fail. They just refuse to say it. Yeah. So I completely, I completely understand Lizzie. I think that that was a good plot inclusion. The boyfriend thing was totally unnecessary and, Mm -hmm. and creepy. Yeah. I also think that Lizzie, like, her change in personality I find really interesting because she works in the storeroom for, what, like, a couple of months, maybe? Yeah. And she's already going kind of, like, off the rails. Like, she's, That would be a really, really stressful job to have while the shortages are going on. And she starts, like, there's one point where she talks about, like, oh, so this person's handwriting is so nice. She loops her G's. And I was like, okay. Hun. That's illegible. <laughs> That's illegible. <laughs> and she just, like, the poor kid. She's 12 years old. She's been stuffed into a job that she hates. Mm-hmm. And she's has this creepy man looking over her shoulder all the time. Yeah. Like, her boss. Mm -hmm. And then the one guy who ends up, like, showing her genuine, like, showing her, like, genuine genuine care and attraction is a fucking creep. (laughs) A.K.A. Looper. Yep. This poor girl just, like, needs to get her head on straight and needs to not be in this environment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that she probably really relied on other people and her friends at school. And now that she's out of school, she doesn't really know how to deal with it. And having to work, I think, is really hard for her. Yeah. And she also, Lena, in the beginning of the book, describes her as very active. Yeah. And she doesn't really get a chance to be active when she's sitting at a desk and writing all day. Yeah. Lena seemed to be, she seemed to, like, really thrive in her job. Mm -hmm. Mostly because she wanted it in the first place. But, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, honestly, I would hate being a messenger. Oh my god, yeah, I hate running. <laughs> I hate running, and also if I had to memorize a bunch of different messages, yep, yep, I would get fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like from all of the jobs in the book that are mentioned, I feel like um, Clary's job at the greenhouses sounds best, or the teacher's. Teacher's assistant? Yeah. Yeah, that one's good. But, doctor's yeah. assistant doesn't sound that bad. Oh my god, I couldn't do doctor's assistant. You couldn't do doctor's assistant either. Timekeeper's assistant doesn't sound that bad either. You think you could do doctor's assistant? Let's go back to that real fast. <laughs> you think you could do doctor's assistant? Well, ye who refused to get a flu shot for years. Okay, don't roast me. <laughs> From what I know, they don't have any medical supplies. So That's it would worse. be an easy job because I wouldn't have to stab people. That's so much worse. Needles. People are dying left and right from colds. I know it would suck emotionally, but I'm saying like the actual <laughs> job wouldn't be that bad. And we also get to talk, help Dr. Tower, and I really like Dr. Tower. She is cool. Yeah. Yeah, unsung heroes of the book, Dr. Tower and Clary. Clary's the best. Though, 
Now that we're saying her name out loud, it's kind of like Clary from the, um, what's the book series? Uh, Mortal Mortal Instruments. Instruments, And it's kind of throwing me off, and I really hate it. Yeah, I, something that I'll say about the movie is that I really like that they made sure that, that in the movie, Clary is African American. Is she described that way in the book? No. Oh, nice. So nice that they made her African American in the book or in the in, movie. Yes, to be clear. <laughs> so I like. So I. So that's one thing the movie improved on. Does the book ever describe anyone's skin tones? No. I mean, regardless of what their skin tones actually are, they're probably all super pale from living underground. Yes, and they do go into that in the second book, um, but. The descriptions of the characters are really, really sparse, and I kind of like, I kind in turn in this book I kind of like that because it leaves it up a little bit more to the imagination mm-hmm. and you, it helps you get past some of the author's biases to help yeah. you fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good point because like if you don't describe them, you can't expose your biases. Yeah, <laughs> pro tips for potential writers, I guess. Yeah, Don't though take that as a pro tip, that's no, not a good pro tip. No, you should representation's important. Yeah, if you don't want to describe your characters, then that's fine. But if you want to not describe your characters to avoid actually representing um, people of color, then that's not okay. Yeah, and I don't think that. Well, there's no way that we could know if that was the problem. Yeah, we don't know because the characters weren't described that well. Um, I read somewhere that that lena was not is not white but i could that was someone on goodreads Mm. so that so that might not have been gene dupro's intention but that's what i heard from some random person on goodreads (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah that's really interesting I hadn't even thought about that because I was just focused on the fact that they're all living underground. <laughs> That's got to do something to you. Where you're yeah. only living under fluorescent lights 24-7. Mm-hmm. That's got to mess with your biology Yeah, a lot. Yeah. They have a really hard time once they get above ground. Oh, no spoilers. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> That's for the next episode. I'm basically just saying that um, she takes it into account. She That's do- good. She takes a lot of things into account that you wouldn't really, like, a lot of authors wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Her world building is really thorough. Yeah. Should we move on to world building? Yeah. Okay. So it's a very detailed world. Like, the first couple of pages after, like, the intro part that Sophie... Uh, memorize uh the like actual first chapter it starts off with like three paragraphs of actually just description of the world and then it goes into characters where i feel like a lot of books start out with the characters and then give you the world but this is kind of the opposite of the that you get a good sense of what characters know and don't know in terms of things like they don't know the word boat I love how um, all of their ex- their discoveries feel so extraordinary. I was like yeah. on the edge of my seat, excited that they were discovering what a boat is. It's like okay, <laughs> it's kind of 
That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And the whole plot about them needing to find a movable light and that being the big hurdle and them looking for solutions outside the city and the fact that people were trying and people are genuinely trying and it's not just Lena and Dune stumbling upon the instructions and being the only ones trying. Yeah. I also thought it felt very real, like the fact that they couldn't figure out how to make a movable light because it seems like nobody knows how electricity works, which is valid because I don't know how electricity really works. And also they only go to school until they're 12 years old. Yeah. The builders clearly did not want them knowing much so that they didn't end up going above ground before the disaster ended. Yeah. And I also feel like um, it made sense why they couldn't like make a candle. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't have the ability to, like, figure out how to burn oil. Yeah. Which, like, is how candles work. Yeah, the builders really thought it out. Yes. To yeah. make sure that they wouldn't leave. Mm-hmm. Which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it also kind of puts in perspective how little we actually know about our world around us. Because, like... If someone put me underground with, um, well, that was a notification on both of our phones, or our, what's it called? Computers. Mm-hmm. Um, back on topic. Yeah. But, uh, wow, that took me out of this entire thing. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it kind of, like, puts it into perspective how, like, do you actually know how to repair, like, a fridge? Yeah, I don't. I don't. And, like, it makes sense why they wouldn't have that skill set going down into, like, the ground to live forever. Um, so it makes sense, like, why their fridge doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I found that really, that's part of the world building really interesting, where they, like, don't know anything. Oh, yeah. All the jobs that they have are very, like, they would be considered blue-collar jobs Yeah. here. So they're not jobs that take a lot. They're, they're not jobs that you would have to go get to a PhD school. for. Yeah. They're jobs that, like, you learn on the job. Yeah, which is really cool because it means that they have they have a lot of different skills especially because they're put into jobs that they might not necessarily want and then they can get reassigned (laughs) after three years god can you imagine well i'm sure a lot of people work in jobs that they hate for three years yeah which but i am kind of like the builders must have been so cynical to think that people wouldn't be able to handle the truth Mm -hmm. because if i feel like the truth would really really save them yeah and and it would really really help help them through the years yeah it doesn't really make sense why they don't want people to know i mean like i kind of get it but also like wouldn't it be easier to just like tell them in 200 years you can leave don't lose these instructions yeah i mean obviously if this disaster is going on or impending when the builders are building (laughs) um they're like they their faith in humanity is very low 
They also do excuse it by saying that they don't want the people in Ember to like miss what they can't. Go I back don't to. care <laughs> about enough. them not about them missing it. Like they can, they experience so much death already. Like they're already missing tons of things. That's so sad. <laughs> That's so sad. I I know. So I think the builders were being a little bit hypocritical on that one, but I think the real reason that they didn't they didn't want people going up before it was time because it was for they want people to survive. Yeah. And I think that they were worried that too many people would get curious and head out. That's fair. And we try to look. S- we saw how many people tried to explore the unknown. Yeah, that was also when things got really desperate though. That's true. But I'm sure there were people doing it even when things were prosperous. Yeah. Because, like, I feel like there's an innate human quality to be curious. Yeah. And I don't think that... I think that there wasn't enough faith in people in Ember just to, like... Like, if the disaster was so... Was really so bad, the way that they got out, got in and got out, that would be completely destroyed. Yeah. It should have been. Yeah, and if not, I mean, I'm sure the builders took that into account when they were building. But I think there would have been a way to check to make sure things were okay. Mm -hmm. And if the mayors had the box, wouldn't it be good to know what's in it? Like, if the box was was set to open after 200 years, then there was really no harm in knowing that they are instructions to get out of the city. Yeah, I also feel like they should have not entrusted it to one person Mm -hmm. because maybe this is me being cynical but i don't trust one person to take care of everything and clearly it was the wrong call because like the seventh mayor messed everything up for everybody yeah so if there had been more than one person with access to the instructions maybe it would have been a lot easier yeah but i don't know i think that I'm worried that the builders just really, like, did not trust people at all. Yeah. And they thought that people would steal it. Mm-hmm. And then it would get the, destroyed somehow. Honestly, what good would it be to steal it? Because, like, there's not much that they can do with it. Yeah, and I think that how could they... Ex- they needed a backup somewhere. Yeah. I think the builders were a little bit too cynical for their own good. Yeah. And I, I think that... He, that enough people would have done the right thing in the end. Yeah. And even if a few people might have not, mm-hmm. as always is the case when circumstances get desperate. Yeah. I think that there would I think that there would have been enough people to do the right thing and informed decisions would have been really important. Consent <laughs> is a conversation. <laughs> yeah, because it's really sad that their plan for the mayor to lead everyone out of the city, ended up resting on the shoulders of two 12-year-olds. And Poppy. And Poppy. <laughs> so a combined... 12-year-olds <laughs> and two and a two-year-old. A combined 26 years of an experience between the three of them. Yeah. Not what I would place my life on. Yeah. And the thing is, they... They also, no one thought it was important. That's another thing. No one thought that the instructions were important at all. Yeah. That was weird. I don't know why they didn't think it was important. Well, I mean, it was eaten up. That's fair. But, like, I don't know. The world building is really good, but I think we found some holes to poke in it. (laughs) 
Yeah. I really, really wish that there was more description on the first couple of years in Ember. Like, the first generation that grows up there. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I know they find the journal at the end, but it, like, stops so abruptly. That would have been... I wanted more. Especially knowing that the journal is Nikki, who is the main character in The Prophet of Yonwood. The that third book that we are not reading. Yes, that would have been such, such an interesting book instead of just the book that it is, which is her crushing on a boy and then this prophet woman and then this other woman pulling the strings of the prophet one woman being like, we need to take away all the dogs. <laughs> I don't think I ever read that book. <laughs> yeah, because it's worthless. No, okay, I shouldn't be that mean. It is, it is what it is, but it's kind of sad because you never really get to figure out what exactly happened. Mm-hmm. You never find out the whole story. You only find out from people who have who survived. This is a little bit of a spoiler for the second book, uh, but the people who survived the disaster in the first place. Then that's the only. You never really get the perspective from people who were living it Through at the, the disaster at the time. And if they had Nikki, like Nikki could have been that. Character. Yeah, Nikki could have been that character. Her father was a builder. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so it had a lot of potential. Wait, wait, wait. How long were they building this underground city? Okay, so they were... So there was this initial disaster that people were warning about in The Prophet of Yonwood. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think I should reread it. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> um, but then that ended up getting averted somehow because of love. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. Um, and because they return the dogs and everything the dogs are okay (laughs) important (laughs) the dogs are fine yes but then that got averted so they started building the city then and then there was a gap of maybe 50 years while nothing was happening but then something else was brewing and then there was it was a combination of disease and nuclear war okay but if Nikki's dad is one of the builders. Wouldn't he have been dead by the time that she goes down into the city? Yes. But they don't just mean that original. There's the original builders, and then there's also the the, the other the builders. who actually took them down. Yeah. So these... So the so city of Ember is where California... It's somewhere in California. Okay. So it's like under California. Yeah. That seems like the worst place to put an underground city because they just have earthquakes. And they don't have water. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's the worst place to put an underground city. I hope it's Northern California. That still doesn't make sense. Okay. It would make more sense if it was in like Nevada or like New Mexico. Yeah. I mean, I think a great place for a disaster would be, I mean, <laughs> I mean not a disaster, <laughs> but like a... Disaster shelter would be, like, not in the United States, honestly. Fair. But if it had to be in the United States, probably, like, Western Washington. I'm biased. You're but, very biased. Wouldn't but they have it, water. But wouldn't making it be landlocked make more sense? Because there are underground reservoirs of water that they could access. And then if it's landlocked, we don't have as many earthquakes. And most so Ohio. Of, yeah. We put it in Ohio. We put it in Ohio. Ohio the thing is, is the tornadoes. To tornadoes only happen above ground. That's not going to affect an underground okay, city. Okay, so so the, we should put the city where Oberlin is. Perfect. 
Yes, in our college town. I don't know if we've ever mentioned that on this podcast, but we both go to Oberlin College. Uh, shout out, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's move on to critical analysis, because I think we... I think we've run out of things to say about world building. Okay. I have something to say about the mayor character, <laughs> which I mentioned to Sophie earlier. But um, the mayor character... He is the only character that we see that is described as fat. And he's also, like, our main uh, antagonist, sort of. Um, and he's very, very greedy, and he's hoarding all of the supplies of Ember for himself. So um, his fatness kind of ends up being an externalization of his greed. Yes. Which I get that this book was written in, like, before the whole body positivity movement. 2003. It came out in 2003. It was before the whole body positivity movement and, like, the whole conversation around fat phobia. But it's still, like, not great. Not no. great that it's literally an externalization of his greed. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything I don't really have anything else about that to say. Um, I guess I would say that um, it was... This book relies on a lot of commentary, and a lot of this commentary is really good. Mm-hmm. But I do think that just the lack of trust the builders had in the people <laughs> yeah. to know to stay in the city mm-hmm. and to go up when the deva- disaster was averted. It is a very cynical book. It's It's very cynical, but it's very cynical, but it's also all about hope. In the end? Well, it's about hope of a younger generation. Yeah. I which w- I feel like, like is the a new world. Which, yeah. Which is what the builders wanted, but they didn't put any trust in the new generation to figure it out. Yeah. I wonder how many generations have lived in Ember. Ember. Well, it's two, been 241 years. I don't know how many generations. So, however many generations it's it takes be you like at. Three or four. Yeah. At least. Um, I think. Yeah, I think this is another book like Dragon Slippers, mm-hmm. not the later books of Dragon Slippers, like the but the first Dragon Slippers, where it was pretty safe in terms of the political risks that it took. Yeah, um, it does have a lot of like environmental themes and also like, well, sort of environmental. It doesn't really get into that, and they're probably polluting that river a lot. Um, yeah, but it does get into a lot of like. With, like, the shortages. Everything is precious. They're using everything. Yeah, so it kind of gets into poverty, sort of, but not really explicitly. It, like, touches upon themes that go along with themes of poverty, but it isn't very explicit. Yeah. It's it's kind of different because it's an entire city. It's different also because there isn't much economic inequality. Everyone's pretty much on the same level except for the corrupt corruption of the the mayor and the guards and looper who are who are taking stuff in the storerooms yeah and i think that the fact that that they were very corruptible because of that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. it was so desperate yeah. and of course people are going to be corrupt be corrupted by this desperation and this knowledge that the world is failing now we sound cynical <laughs> well they didn't know there was a way out. There's a way out of the city. They found the way out of the city, and now That's everyone's fair. fine. That's fair. 
So I feel like, yeah, honestly, like the builder is not telling people that there's a way out probably makes the desperation of the mayor and everyone who knows what's actually going on with the storerooms so much worse. Yeah. Because like they know that the storerooms are a finite resource. And I'm frustrated that they didn't anticipate that somehow over 200 years the one box with the one copy of the instructions that they had would get lost somehow. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like something you should build a fail safe about. Yeah. I don't know. But I, oh yes, go. Um it makes ordinary things that we often take for granted like electricity, candles. Yeah. It makes it really, really seem really, really important and makes it definitely made me care a lot about it. And that was really helpful in my evolution as um, someone who cares about things, someone who cares about things, <laughs> especially the environment. Mm-hmm. And I know this was Jean Dupro's goal when she was writing the book, because I saw that in an interview. <laughs> so it's really successful in making you really, really, really care and become more conscious of the resources that you're using. I will say one thing. I think they overhype pineapples in this book. <laughs> pineapples are great. I don't know what you're talking about. I am one of those people who pineapple like kind of eats at my tongue and it burns and I'm... Well, a lot of things burn for you, Jacqueline. Oh, now you're <laughs> roasting me. <laughs> a lot of things... Leave me alone. I'm not a spicy food person. Give me one You're not an a lot of food person. <sighs> Roast is too real. <laughs> Before we leave critical analysis, I have one more um, thing that I want to mention. It is very heterosexual like literally when they're putting the people originally down into ender they put them in man and woman pairs to be like mother and father oh and that yeah comes along disgusting. with that rubbed me the wrong way because it gives the assumption that a child needs one mother and one father yeah and that's it and any deviation from that is weird and also i feel like they're like there's not that many people in Ember, but, like, there are queer people everywhere. Mm-hmm. Ever read the book um, that's literally titled something that's, like, uh, queer people are everywhere? I can't remember what it's called. But queer people have always existed, yeah. and it doesn't make sense that there are none in Ember. Yeah, I think that, that that really says a lot about the kind of people the builders were. Obviously, authority figures, obvi- when they're choosing the people to basically save from the disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, the politics of that, especially because it's the United States, and the United States is a very, very privileged, super unequal place. Mm-hmm. So. And it seems like, based on the little knowledge that I have right now from the journal at the end, it seems like they were looking for people who were, like, blue-collar workers, mm-hmm. who, like, Nikki was hardy and worked a manual labor job. Yeah. It's weird to call people hardy. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the build is really stupid in terms and bigoted in terms of the people that the way they, they paired people together. I don't think that beyond that, it's explicit that everyone in Ember is heterosexual. Yeah. I don't think there is. There is no romance besides the 
I don't, you can't even, you can't count the creepy thing between Lizzie and Looper. But there is no romance in this book. Yeah. And there is barely any couples at all in this book. There are no couples because everyone's people are like dead. And a lot of our, our literal main characters are children. Yes. Yeah, do they ever mention Dune's other parent? No, they never mention Dune having... Or do they mention him having a mom at one point? I don't think they do. I don't think they do either. They only ever mention his father. Yeah. Maybe his one father is actually two fathers. Maybe. Okay, that goes in fanfiction takes. <laughs> Dune has two dads. Hottest take of the year. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do you want to revive the author? Yes. Okay. Even though we've already been doing that. Yes. Um, so what did you find out about her? I found out, well, I found out that it takes her really long. She said that she takes her a really, really long time to write books. And she came up with the idea for this one in like 1980. And, um, and it didn't come out until 2003. Yeah. So she also says that she doesn't really that she finds writing books really, really, really difficult. And she doesn't, she was an English major in college and she doesn't like to write. And she's also a teacher. Oh, that's cool. And she doesn't like to write books until she feels like she has a really good idea for one. Mm. Um, Honestly, knowing that she's an English major, her writing style makes a lot more sense. It does come off on some, come off as something that you would read in college English class. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she knows how to pack in her themes, yes. which I think really shows how she would have been an English major and mm-hmm. a teacher. Yeah. Um, she seems to really, really like kids a lot. She founded a creative writing club in the, I think she taught in high school or middle cool. school that mm-hmm. she taught in. She's now my grandpa's age. Um, she was born in 1944 mm-hmm. or something like that. So from what I could find on, from like, two seconds of research, it seems like she wrote a lot of academic papers before she got into fiction writing. Yeah. And the reason why she wrote The City of Ember was because um, she grew up in the 1950s where there were bomb shelters everywhere and people were really, really, really afraid that there was going to be a nuclear apocalypse Mm. from the... Cold War? From the Cold War. And so that inspired her to write basically the aftermath of a, of a actual nuclear apocalypse in City of Ember. That's pretty cool. And she also she also seemed to write it because she was like, what would it be like to have to live in a bomb shelter while stuff is going on? Yeah. Wow, that must have yeah. been very formative. Yeah, so City of Ember is pretty much a... The city is pretty much just a giant bomb shelter. Mm, that makes a lot of sense when you think about like the way that it's built with one giant generator and like a bunch of storerooms. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So it's it really yeah the themes are real. <laughs> I don't have much more to say on it. Yeah. Okay. Fan fiction takes. Yeah. Well, hottest take of the decade is apparently that Dune has two dads. <laughs> um. My, or oh. Or Dune's dad is just asexual. That works too. Mm-hmm. But isn't Dune his biological son? Yeah. So yeah. But that... we could have had a surrogate relationship with Fair someone. Fair enough. You're totally right. Would have had to have a surrogate relationship, in, unless the unless the other dad had a vagina and not a penis. Yes. So I know a lot of people ship Lena and Dune. I don't 
think either of us really do. Um, at least I don't. Um, cause it kind of feels weird to ship them because They're of- 12. <laughs> yes, they are 12. Mm -hmm. Um, but just like the extreme circumstances that lead them to like fall into each other's paths, very convoluted. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you can have that shared history without being in a relationship. This is a friendship book. Yes. In case you didn't notice, <laughs> people who like to ship everything under the moon, this is a friendship book. They are friends. Yeah. I feel like what I can envision happening for them in the future is that they stay really good friends for the rest of their life, and they, like, live next door to each other, and their families end up being really good friends with each other. Like, family friends. Yeah. But that's as much as I can see happening for them. I don't want them to date. I yeah. don't want that to be a well, thing. Well, I know the spoilers. Don't don't tell me if they I'm date. not going to tell you. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do, and I'm not excited to get to it. Well, they're really, really, they're really, really young. They are. Babies. Yeah. Well, do you have any other fan fiction takes? Only that I just have a comment about Poppy. Because Poppy's two years old. She's not going to remember much of Ember at all. Oh. So she's going to grow up mostly not knowing it at all. She's going to be like the new, new generation of the new world. Oh my god, she'll be like those babies that, the first generation of babies that grew up in Ember, but like the opposite. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Okay, cool. That's that for fan fiction takes. Moving on to ratings and conclusions. Who would you recommend this book to? Um, every single kid. I said specifically middle schoolers, because, I don't know, I read it in middle school. I feel like that was the right time to read it. I would say that even... Eight-year-olds can enjoy this as much as... I think eight-year-olds would love this. Okay. Like, I would give it to my cousin. Mm-hmm. I think she would like it. Mm-hmm. So, I would say everyone. It's a very... It's still a very relevant book. True. So... There are definitely moments in the past couple of years where it's been more relevant. Also, friendship. Friendship's always relevant. Yes. <laughs> friendship is always relevant. Um, What's your nostalgia rating? Five out of five. Of course it is. <laughs> My nostalgia rating is actually three out of five. Because mm -hmm. I don't really remember reading it. It didn't have like the huge impact on me that it seems to have had on you. <laughs> Again, I like dark stories. Yes, yes you do. There's a reason why this was my favorite book when I was nine and ten. Oh god. <laughs> Um, but like, since I can't, couldn't really remember reading it as a kid, a lot of the details felt new. Like I was reading a new book, which was really fun. I enjoyed it a lot, but it wasn't very nostalgic. Mm -hmm. Um, that's why I put my current rating at four out of five. Cause it's not like my favorite thing of all time, but I enjoyed it. I just wish the characters had been more developed, I guess. Yeah. What's your current rating? I'm going to put my current rating as um, 4.5 out of 5 because um, I think it holds up really well, but um, could have used more from the characters and the writing style is very def It's definitely targeted towards children. Yeah. So as an adult, I wasn't as completely in it mm -hmm. as an audience as I would have been when I first read it, but I think it holds up. So it definitely does hold up. I think it also like 
coming off of reading the Dragon Slipper series and the Mysterious Benedict Society, which both have a lot of humor in them. Um, City of Ember doesn't have a lot of humor. Yeah. I like it. And I don't. <laughs> I love darkness. <laughs> and I like to be able to laugh out loud. I love darkness with a little hope. But don't think this is, means that I liked the hung, the whole hung, the whole dystopian craze that happened after the Hunger Games. No, <laughs> I like melodrama, but not that kind of melodrama. It has to mean something. Those dystopian stories, the dystopia had like zero commentary. They were all just like, this things are bad because things are bad. There was no, there was nothing beyond that. And the hunger and Hunger Games copycat. I like the Hunger Games though. Okay, so with that, um, if you were one of these characters, who would you be? I would be Dune because be of the melodrama. Because of the melodrama, he has he clearly has some emotion emotions to work through. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. Emotions yeah, are a thing. If I was. I mean, if I was his his guardian, I'd tell him to see a therapist. <laughs> I'd tell myself the same. So, <laughs> I think even if you were his friend, you would tell him to see a therapist. <laughs> yes. So, yes, Dune. Dune okay. is... Lena is my fave, because she has to be but for the nostalgia. Be... But I would be Dune. Cool. I think the... I didn't feel any like deep connection with any of the characters so i feel like i would probably end up being miss thorne who is their teacher in their final year of school when they're 12 i've taught 12 year olds before they're fine actually no i really like teaching 12 year olds that's like sixth grade right yeah 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 I taught and sixth a, and seventh grade yeah i taught a class of sixth graders once and that was really fun but yeah I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else in the City of Ember world besides being a teacher. Mm -hmm. So with that, any final thoughts or wrap it up? I I don't know. The nostalgia is still real for me in these books. <laughs> yeah, I can see the copy of the City of Ember that Sophie is currently holding has pages falling out of it <laughs> because it's been read so many times. It's been read so many times, but this was... I got this copy when in 2012. So after I already came back from when I was obsessed with it. Okay, so it's been read a lot since then. Yes. And the nostalgia still had held up for you after all those rereads? Yes. That's incredible. Um, of course, I can't reread it anymore because I know it so well that <laughs> it just... I'm... I've... You can recite parts of it. Yeah, I'm kind of unable to notice new things anymore, mm -hmm. which is what I like to do when I reread. But um, I don't know. I enjoyed rereading it this time. Yeah, fun stuff. Okay, well, that's all for this week. Um, next time, we're going to be looking at the second book in the City of Ember series, The People of Sparks. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WTKA underscore podcast and at our website link in the description we will be live tweeting the city of ember movie um on twitter of course um this will have already been posted by the time you listen to this 
yeah, so we're gonna be doing the live tweeting tonight after we record, but this episode isn't gonna be posted for another like two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna be a while. We have a bit of a backlog of episodes. Yep. Which is good. Positive problem. Yep. So, anyways, thanks so much for listening. Get your candles, candles and matches, hop, hop on, on a boat, boat, and have a great day.